Our scripture this morning comes from Acts 2, verses 1 through 21, the coming of the Holy Spirit. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now, they were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this was what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days, it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much, Eddie. And thank you, Melissa, for reading the scripture so beautifully. I appreciate that. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, may the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be acceptable unto you. Amen. A seminary professor was once asked the difference between denominations. He thought for a moment, and then he said, well, you can tell the difference by looking at their steeples. The Episcopalians, for example, have a cross on top of their steeples because they want to remind everyone the worship of God in their church is a high and holy place of ceremony. And the cross always goes before us. The Presbyterians, though, usually have a weather vane. Because with all those deacons and presbyters, they're never sure which way the wind is going to be blowing. And finally, he said, there are the Methodists. And they have a lightning rod on top of their steeples. Because their church was on fire once and they never want to see it happen again. (laughs) <laughs> okay. 
The book of Acts tells us that there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven, particularly those in the Mediterranean area. There were Parthians and Medes and Eliamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia. Even today, Jerusalem is filled with people from around the world. And in that time, they were there in Jerusalem along with 12 men who had followed Jesus from the beginning of his ministry, along with the women who also had followed, all the way from Galilee. They had come together to celebrate the Feast of Weeks, which was focused on the gift of God's love through the law to the Israelites. Suddenly, pandemonium broke loose in the room, and sound overwhelmed them. It was the sound of a rushing wind. It was deafening, frightening. If you've ever been near a tornado, any of you? One time I was in the midst of a uh, uh, Sunday night preaching when the alarm went in Bellevue, Texas, and it was a tornado on its way. And darn, they didn't get to hear my sermon. We all headed into the shelter. I've never heard such a wind in my life. Never heard such a wind. A violent rush of wind, as the Bible describes it, swept over the people like that Spirit of God swept over the waters at creation. And the Spirit began to dance with tongues of fire, like the burning bush to Moses. A bush that was blazing but not consumed. The walls of their gathering place could not contain them, could not contain the followers of Jesus, and they were moved out into the streets along with all the people from all over the world. And these uneducated Galilean disciples who primarily only spoke Aramaic began to speak in other languages and tell them all about this Jesus who had died and now risen for their sakes. The Spirit had given the ability to make it possible for them to communicate to these devout Jews from every nation. Now, yes, as the scripture tells us, some of them sneered and said, are they filled with new wine? It was very early in the day. And as observers, we might say the same. How can this be truly the Holy Spirit that is work here? But as believers, we say yes, yes. For remember, it was the Holy Spirit that brought about the pregnancy of a scared young 15-year-old that the baby would be the savior of the people. It was the Holy Spirit that allowed the prophetess, Anna, to recognize Jesus as the savior. It was the Holy Spirit which parted the clouds and showed that, yes, this is Jesus, the Son of God, when the Spirit alighted on him. It was the Holy Spirit that allows Peter to know later on that it's not only the Jews, but the Gentiles that would become followers of the way. And it is the Spirit that guided Paul's journeys throughout the known world all the way to Rome. It was the coming of the Holy Spirit that signaled nothing less than the eschaton, the beginning of God's reign on earth, thy kingdom come. Yes, 
Yes, so it is possible that the disciples spoke in so many different languages, but it was only the beginning. With the coming of the Holy Spirit, God's vision of one people out of many is made possible. First thing I want to say this morning is that the Holy Spirit is a creative force in our lives. Just as the wind of God was a creative power in the creation of the earth and the heavens, in Acts, the Spirit creates a community, a Christian community, which is why at Pentecost we sometimes call it the birthday of the church. And I have had birthday candles and little cupcakes at children's time, and, and we've sang happy birthday to the church, or they've done it in kindergarten class or in the Sunday school. It is the birthday of the church. But it's so much more because that spirit was poured out on the collection of believers. And it's more than a personal gift, which we sometimes take as ours alone. It was for the people to belong to God. It appeared as a distinguishing mark to all God's people. Now we tend to think in terms, well, isn't that Pentecostal? Isn't that charismatic? No, the Holy Spirit as a part of the Trinity is for all of us, all the people. Created on Pentecost is a distinctive and powerful community of faith. So the Holy Spirit is present here. And it challenges us as a Christian community to both be a believer as one, but many. The United Methodist Church for, oh golly, um, over 50 years has tried to understand this in its life and work as one entity in many different places. It means, though, for us that we are one, but we worship the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we are many in the expressions of our faith because of the Trinity, as Christians who come from wide backgrounds. The United Methodist Faith, I've always taught my members that each one of us is allowed to have our opinion at the table as we are talking. I try very hard to remind people about John Wesley's biblical thoughts and the rule of the church and to do no harm, to do good, and to stay in love with God. Those three rules that Wesley set down. That is what is important. But what we can do is agree to disagree sometimes. That's what makes us United Methodists. One and many. It seems like an impossible contradiction, but it is possible. Um, the triune God itself is one and many. One God in three persons. A single God who is also a community made up of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You see before you a picture um, that is by Rublev. It's a very famous Greek Orthodox icon. An amazing icon. It, three angels seated at a table. 
An icon is a window through which we can look and become closer to God. And this is meant as a wisdom for all people to know that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit work together to be one. As you'll see in the picture, you can't very well from probably where you're sitting, but each of the entities is looking to the other. Each is talking to the other, looking in another's eyes. There is wisdom there. The Trinity works together as one. As the Father's will is done, they work together. Out of many comes one God in three persons, one and many. And so we are, as the church, one and many. So we need to remember that the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost to a vastly different collection of believers, but created something new, the church. New and powerful, a Christian community out of one, out of many, one was created, the church. Next, the Spirit shows us that God is right here, right now, in front of us, just as that burning bush was burning before Moses on the trail as he went up with his sheep into the heights. God was present, and God is present in our lives as well. I spoke about divided about the tongues of fire that appeared on them and the tongues that rested on each one. Now, this fire was impossible to ignore, but it was a sign of the Holy Spirit burning within them. And such fire is not new to the Holy Scripture. When God liberated people from Egypt, you'll recall in the book of Exodus how there was a pillar of fire that led them at night and a cloud of dust during the day kicked up by the wind. God wanted them to know they were not alone. They were not abandoned. Such fire is present also in the glory of the Lord, devouring the fire on top of the mountain as the people of Israel watched when the law came down. Or when the prophets Elisha and Elijah were walking along in a chariot of fire. Do you remember that story, how amazing it is? And horses of fire separated the two of them, prophet and follower. And Elijah is taken up in a whirlwind to heaven. The Holy Spirit is at work throughout the Old Testament and the New. And then in Isaiah, the prophet promises his chariots are like the whirlwind and that the prophet will come again. In Revelation, John says, the eyes of Christ as he saw them in his dreams and visions were like a holy fire. A pillar of fire, a devouring fire, a flame of fire. That unites these blazing sights are all the presence of God. That's what unites them. Again and again, it's God. God comes into the middle of human life and appears to us. Sometimes these things are like brilliant and we can't ignore them. And yet sometimes they're very quiet, like the soft touch of a loved one or a friend 
when we're hurting or need prayer. An encouraging word that we didn't expect in the middle of a very bad day. An expression of forgiveness and a plant sent to us unexpectedly or a flower. A statement of love. But whether God comes in a blazing fire or warm words, God is always present and powerful. And I think we forget the powerful part. I know that I did throughout my ministry. I forgot that that Holy Spirit was what gave me the power to stand in the pulpit and preach. I forgot that the Holy Spirit was what gave me the enthusiasm to encourage my people into new ministries. I forgot. This is my confession, oh my friends. I forgot that it was the Holy Spirit that grounds us and pulls us together and makes us the people that we are. And I want to say to you that the Holy Spirit is present in this place. Just like we sang earlier, it shines through each one of your faces because the Holy Spirit is our comforter, our advocate, our guide. Jesus promised that advocate, that spirit of truth that would be with us. And it is here. As Jesus was called Emmanuel, God is with us. Finally, the Holy Spirit gives us the able to communicate with people that we might not normally talk with. People of every race and culture. Just as it enabled the followers of Jesus to connect with diverse Jews of Jerusalem. A year ago, just over a year ago, I told you that my husband and I went on vacation to Panama. I was nervous. Now, they speak a lot of English in Panama. They speak a lot of different languages in Panama, actually, because it is a multicultural place. It is the crossroads of the world. That isthmus provides so much to the world by allowing its ships to go, the ships to go through and bring containers of food and all kinds of products to us. Anyway, I was afraid. I was afraid that I didn't know enough Spanish. But you know what I found? A sweet, sweet spirit had already gone before us. And people were so accepting and loving and kind. And when I absolutely probably made a fool of myself trying to speak my high school Spanish, they were very understanding and sweet and at times corrected me, but never chastised or looked at me with eyes of hatred. It's possible, too, that we might be able to communicate to those that we do not know yet and may be afraid of. Remember how Peter took a bold stand later in chapter 2 and echoed the prophet Joel's words, I will pour out my flesh upon all. My spirit, I mean. (laughs) I had a moment there. I'm 63, not old, but I'll tell you what, I mess up every once in a while. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. The spirit was coming not to just fill Peter with a a spirit of acceptance and hope and, and power, but all people. The cultural barriers that had been with so many for so long fell away. And Peter found himself saying, all who call upon the Lord shall be saved. 
And I believe that the Holy Spirit is continuing to break down barriers today as we share the power of God's love with others. Yes, this may involve learning a new language and being afraid to speak it to others, or perhaps trying to teach English as a second language. It may challenge us in the future with Josh as your pastor to take worship service out to your city park, to the gazebo, out where other people might be that they aren't here now to be able to feel comfortable because they aren't still comfortable coming into a building. It may require the robust support of our church community for our youth ministry to reach students who are so wrestling with the world and what it's doing right now. It's such a pivotal time in their lives. And the ministry of the church to guide and support and give wisdom is so needed. So often we are content, aren't we, to hold our worship services just for ourselves. This last year with COVID-19, putting our worship services online proved to us, to all the churches, how hungry people were to hear the word of God. Whether they turned in for the whole service or not, they usually wanted to hear a good word that would get them through the day even if it meant they went back and watched a different message every single day. Thousands went online, thousands upon thousands upon thousands. I can tell you from an amazing experience that I had a year ago at Easter. On Easter, First United Methodist Church Baton Rouge had 10,000 worshipers online. People worshiped with us throughout the entire world. It truly was a Pentecost experience. That's what the Internet has done for us in worship. But we are too content to stay in our pews and pitch our Bible studies and our discussion groups and our ministries to the same people. We must begin to reach out beyond ourselves again, to not be so comfortable Because the flame of God continues to bubble up and work powerfully within us. Where there are good hearts, there are good deeds to be done. When the United Methodist Church was created, so was a unique symbol that represented these many that became one. And remind us of the power of the Holy Spirit, of how many different parts of the church had become one. The cross and the flame. Our beloved cross and flame is on a wonderful quilt at the back of this church. It's the center of who we are. Many but one. And now our beloved church is on the brink of teetering apart. That is the truth. We all know it. We don't want to speak it. It feels dangerous and horrible and evil. However, I want clarity to say to all of you who are here and who are listening, that does not mean that the Holy Spirit is gone from this place or from this people. This Holy Spirit is at work right now creating something new. It's in this transition, bringing comfort, through all your friends, 
hopefully through me, an encouragement for the future. It's pushing us forward and, yes, even out the door to do new ministry. As Methodists, aflame with the Spirit, we must understand it may cause us to confront some things that make us uncomfortable, what we accept as normal, what we, what we think what we think we want, what we think should happen, what we have settled for. And it may feel like reaching out beyond those limits that we've placed on ourselves and our church is impossible. We want to stay in our own little upper room right here. To be, But we are being pushed by the Holy Spirit, my friends, out into the world, to the end that the kingdom of God comes upon the earth. May it be so.